This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Heidman. And I'm Kelly King. Last summer, we were able to provide the full teaching sessions for Jen Wilkins, the Sermon on the Mount Bible Study, right here on the Mark Podcast. We heard from so many of you that you loved that content and you wanted to hear more like it. So for the next eight weeks, we are going to do Kelly Mentor's All Things New Bible Study together. We'll release the audio of one teaching session per week right here on the Mark Podcast. All Things New is one of several Bible studies Kelly Minter has published with LifeWay, and she has graciously granted us permission to play the audio here. Please note that this is copyrighted material, so we ask that you not reproduce it. Now before we dive in, know that the teachings in these sessions expand on the work that you'll do in the Bible study book. So for the full impact of the study, you'll want to get the Bible study workbook. You can purchase the book at LifeWay.com slash AllThingsNew. We have a sample session there if you want to use it while you wait for your book to come in the mail. These audio teaching sessions will be available for a limited time due to copyright restrictions. We will leave the audio up until April 30th. We hope that gives you time to get the book and study along with us. Over eight sessions, Kelly Minter is going to lead us through the letter of 2 Corinthians, exploring the anchoring truths of bearing treasures in jars of clay, meeting Christ through a pressing thorn, opening wide your heart in the midst of hurtful relationships, and what it means to embrace the lost and lonely as ministers of the new covenant. Each of us has a message to proclaim and live by. Because of Jesus, the old has gone and the new has come. Now, here's Kelly Minter. Well, today I want to focus on chapter 10 with you. And we, we see here pretty clearly that chapter 10 starts a really new section in 2 Corinthians, and it's kind of this section that's going to take us all the way to the end of Paul's letter. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I, I'm sure you're like me in this way, that we, we start to just feel for Paul, you know? Uh, you, you've even gone through your homework in chapter 10, and you've just seen, no matter where he goes, he, he's either suffering or he's like shipwrecked or... People are mad at him, and I mean, it just kind of weaves through all throughout this letter. And we're going to really dial in, in chapter 10, a certain type of uh, suffering that he was going through with the detractors, uh, that the, these false teachers that were trying to stir up the, the believing Corinthians. And, and they prized power. In fact, you're going to see the word boasting all throughout these next chapters because they were boasting about all of their skill sets and their power and their wealth and their prestige and all their stuff, they were boasting so much that finally Paul had to start boasting, but like in a godly way. And there was just so much pride. They were looking for a spiritual leader in a, in a proud sort of way, in an arrogant sort of way, you know? And I, I was sitting on the bed with my, um, my niece and nephew, and you know, I've got, I've got three others, uh, two more nieces and another nephew, and they're just my pride and joy. It's just that two of them happen to live right here in Nashville, so I get to see them a lot. And I was telling them a bedtime story one night, and unfortunately, I feel so bad for them on nights like this, but because I am a Bible teacher, their bedtime story was 
Naaman out of 2 Kings 5 and his <laughs> leprosy. So it's just a sad thing for them. But uh, I was telling them that whole story. We're talking about Naaman's pride, and I stopped, and you know, Will, who's five, and Harper's three, and they're in their pajamas. And I'm like, hey, so do you guys know what pride is? Because Naaman had a lot of pride. Do you guys know what that is? And they're like, nope. And I'm thinking, well, you do know what it is. You just don't know that you know what it is. And, and so anyhow, I, I started explaining. I said, well, you know, pride is kind of when you just think you're right, and you just always want to be like, seen. You're always putting yourself out there. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard when you don't want to admit when you're wrong. And um, a lot of times, it, pride, like if you have a hard time saying you're sorry. And all of a sudden, Will's like, like Harper's sitting right next to him. And, and he's not even trying to be mean. He's just like, oh my, oh my goodness, this is so crazy. Like exhibit A right here. Like she doesn't say she's sorry. And I mean, wow, what are, the, what are the chances that like pride would be right here on the bed as we're talking about it? And this is the deal. Paul is, he's got just this whole place, this city, this powerful city, just full of pride and full of arrogance. And they're looking for a spiritual leader to work in that sort of way. And Paul is going to come to them in the most beautiful way you can possibly imagine. Let's read the first six verses of chapter 10. And this is in response to all these people that are attacking him and jeopardizing the good work that God has begun in Corinth. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. That's the first thing that Paul starts. Okay, can I just tell you that if people were as mean to me as these people were being to Paul... I just probably wouldn't start my letter with the meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ. And I just probably wouldn't appeal that way. And over and over we see that not only does Paul not retaliate, but he also doesn't push, he, does, he also doesn't evacuate. He just stays present, but not in an ungodly way. I appeal to you in the meekness and in the gentleness of Christ. That word meekness is a, it's a very strong word, and frankly, we don't have a great English word for it. Your English translations may even use a different word. But I think it has a lot to do with extraordinary power under the control of God. You know, uh, there was someone who said that, you know, Christ Jesus was extraordinarily meek, and yet he had all the power of God at his command. So he was very, very powerful. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus Christ was extraordinarily powerful. And yet he said, come unto me. Why? Because I am meek. It's a beautiful, beautiful attribute to have. And then gentleness, um, you know, it's, it's suitableness, equity, mildness. Um, this, this one person, Matthew Arnold, says it is sweet reasonableness. And honestly, in this world today, I would just take plain old reasonableness. 
you know? I'm like, I don't even, it didn't even have to be sweet, just somebody with some reason, some place, you know, I'll just take that. But Paul appeals to the Corinthians and all these people, and he says, I appeal to you, and not just in meekness and in gentleness, but in the meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ. Paul never asks us to be anything that Jesus Christ is not. And I take great comfort in that, that all of these attributes, anything that we're to be, it's because that is who Jesus is, and it's his power and his attributes living through us. So do you have a difficult relationship in your life right now? Is somebody's arrogant? There's, there's some people who are like, <laughs> I, I mean, is, is it someone in your sphere, someone in your workplace, someone in your home, and it's just so hard, and all you want to do is retaliate or evacuate? Or you can appeal in the meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ. This is something that I am learning, and I'm learning it slowly, but I'm getting there. <clears throat> but here's what we find out. This is the power that Paul's going to kind of punch back with. And we find out here that the meekness and gentleness of Christ are exceedingly stronger than the arrogance and accusations of this world. That's what will shock you. Now, I've seen this happen so many times where the Lord, by his grace, someone will come at me so unfairly, um, maybe judge me or accuse me, and it's just all this like pride and darkness and bad fruit just coming at you. And then you step up in the meekness and gentleness of Christ, and it's astounding how sometimes, not all the time, this isn't a magic bullet here, but how sometimes that will just bowl people over. I mean, they will just like lay down. They don't even know what to do with that kind of response. The meekness and gentleness of Christ is so much stronger than the arrogance and the attacks of this world because it's something that only comes from Jesus. Okay, so Paul goes on to explain to these detractors. He says, listen, you're saying that I'm timid when I'm with you, but bold when I'm away. And he's kind of saying that facetiously. This is part of what they're accusing him of. He says, that's, you know, that's not true. Um, and then he goes on to talk about his strength, but it's a totally different type of strength. We saw that in verses 4 and 5, he uses warfare imagery, which is not super common to us today, but in those times, warfare imagery would have been very familiar to the Corinthians. Um, the Roman soldiers were very common in the Mediterranean area, so they, they would have gotten this imagery here. He says, we have the power to take down strongholds. But the type of, this is so cool, the type of warfare that Paul was talking about wasn't just any kind of warfare. He was actually talking about siege warfare. Now, I know nothing about siege warfare. I really don't know anything about warfare. But I found out through study that siege warfare is the tearing down of strongholds. So this is a certain type of warfare imagery that Paul is using as a metaphor for us spiritually. It's not just any kind of warfare. It's siege warfare that goes after the fortress or after the stronghold. It's all about tearing walls down, okay? And it's powerful. The, the Greek word is actually where we get our word dynamite. The Greek word looks a lot like dynamite. It's like, boom, we have that kind of power to tear down those strongholds. Okay, what were the strongholds? You studied it this week. It's the arguments against the knowledge of God or the gospel, 
Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. It's any kind of argument that comes against him. And it's any high pretension or any high and lifted up arrogance or pride or something that goes against the knowledge of God. Notice here, and this is so lovely, notice here that Paul is not out to destroy people. No, no, no. He's not interested in destroying people. He's interested in destroying the arguments that end up destroying people. See what I'm saying? Not destroying people, destroying the belief systems that end up destroying people. This is totally different when we go with that kind of heart. Now, this passage might be familiar to many of you. It's been very familiar to me and very helpful to me because I, in my life, I have had strongholds. You know, I've had those fortresses, those things that I just couldn't, I, I, just, I, just, I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to stop or I didn't know how to break free or just whatever it might be. The, those strong, I mean, is there any, anybody, anybody with me today, right? Yeah? Okay. All right. Good. I'm just want, I just want to make sure I'm not alone here because I've had to do some siege warfare and stuff. So I just want to make sure I'm not the only person because that'd be kind of weird. And after... Um, the Lord has given me, by his grace, the power to tear down those strongholds and those arguments and those pretensions that don't agree with the knowledge of God. Then he's given me the power to take my thoughts captive, right? And lead those thoughts unto the obedience of Christ. So if, if I've been thinking all this wrong thinking, if I've been believing lies about myself, if I've been stuck in my shame, or if I have thought, hey, listen, I'm, I'm never going to be able to get better or, or, or change or anything. Um, you know, Paul already talks about the fact that we're being led in triumphal procession. So if we've accepted an area of, of, of um, defeat in our lives, that's not congruent with marching in the triumphal procession. So we already know. We, we, we know what the truth is. But what happens is we have to take down that stronghold of those lies and those arguments, and then we have to take those thoughts captive, Right? Okay, so that's been very meaningful to me. And I still think that that is true. And I think that you can look at this text and you can do that and you need to do that. However, the context is a little bit different here because Paul is not talking about demolishing a stronghold in his own life in this case. And he's not even talking about taking, thoughts, taking his own thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. He's talking about the spiritual warfare, the power that he has that is not according to human standards. And he's saying, listen, you guys are fighting in a totally different, you're fighting on an earthly way. But God, by his grace, has given me a power and us a power as believers in Jesus that literally can tear down those false arguments, those high pretensions the, the, the false worldly beliefs of the world system, we have the power to tear those down and then to lead people's thinking as if their thoughts are being held captive by Jesus Christ. But that's a good thing. We're going to lead people to the truth under the obedience of the Lord Jesus. So what I realized as I was studying this is while it's true for us as individual believers, what's really cool is that we have this graceful, loving ability to come to people in the meekness and in the gentleness of Christ who do not believe 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do not believe that he is the Son of God. Do not believe that he and he alone is our forgiveness and our righteousness. And we have the power to take that stronghold down. Not, not us, but the Lord uses us to do that. But then if we take the stronghold down and we do nothing else, then we haven't done enough. We've just taken a stronghold down. But then we get to step in and we get to lead people's thinking as captive unto Jesus Christ. This is so cool. I mean, the, like already I've gotten to try this out a couple times this week. Oh, seriously. Like, I mean, really, I've like I've met some people. We've gotten into some conversations and I'm telling you, I'm sitting there and I'm like, Lord, you are in me and I have a deep love for this person. And this person doesn't, doesn't understand your love for them. And so give me, give me the dynamic power to take down those arguments and then to, by the word of God, lead them into the truth, taking the thoughts captive. Not me, but you know what I'm saying. The Lord in me. It's really amazing. And it was sort of like this new thing that I didn't know that, that I had as a believer in my arsenal. And it's totally out of love for people. But it's powerful. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here. The Lord used verse 6 in my life profoundly when he says, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So you got to stop there and you're like, what, what are you talking about, Paul? Well, they were saying that he was really timid and that he was, when he got to Corinth, he probably wasn't going to do anything. And he's saying, no, I, I will be the spiritual authority. I will. I will take care of the disobedience of those who are false apostles, those who are um, de detractors from the gospel. But here he's speaking, I believe, directly to the believers who are maybe confused, maybe off base in some way. And he says, listen, when I get there, I'll deal with all those people that are disobedient. But would you make sure that your obedience is complete first? Because we can't get there until you've dealt with your disobedience. And I remember going through a time in my life and, oh man, it was one of those, you know those seasons in life where the Lord just like fillets you, you know? I just, please. I mean, just, you're just like, okay, Lord, while you're in here, just get every last thing, you know? And it was such a hard time. And there were so many people that I, around me that I felt like were getting away with murder. You know that whole thing? Where the Lord is like wanting me to obey. And I'm like, Lord, I am getting almost near like halo status here. I'm being so <laughs> obedient. It's unbelievable how obedient I'm being. And they, like, they are being so not obedient. And it seems like you're blessing them. And I was just like, Lord, can you just, I mean, just one day of the week, can you please deal with <laughs> Oh, my goodness. When are you going to get to them? And I got to verse 6. Will you just worry about completing your obedience? Will you just do that? I'll take care of everybody else. I'm God. Super good at it. Handle it. It's not going to be a problem for me. Just worry about what 
I have asked you to do and do it all the way. Does this mean perfect? I don't think it means perfect. I think it means completed. What has he asked you to do? Please, please, don't leave anything undone. Uh, I remember one of my dearest friends, she said something so profound. She said, you know, I had given the Lord 95%. And she said, I just cannot believe he had the nerve to want the other five, the last five. And she said the last five was the difference between obedience and disobedience, between surrender and I'm still hanging on. All right, let's read verses 7 and 8. You are looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I have a little note in my Bible that says that Paul's authority was for building others up and not tearing them down. And you kind of think that that would be pretty obvious and that I might need to write that in my Bible, but all of us, every single one of us, we have spheres of authority. And I, I don't like this about myself, but there are times where I just kind of wield it in ways that are just not helpful for the people around me. And Paul's coming back to the Corinthians and he says, listen, I do have authority. I mean, Paul really had it. He had an apostolic authority. But did you notice that Paul didn't give himself this authority? He says, if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us, if you have authority, it's only because the Lord has given it to you. Whatever your spiritual authority, it is from the Lord, and it is for others. Okay? Let's look at verses 12 and 13. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We find out a lot about the opponents of Paul. Uh, we find out that, first of all, they were not boasting in the Lord at all. Um, they were boasting in themselves. They were commending their own selves. They weren't waiting for the Lord to commend them. They were measuring themselves by themselves, and they were comparing themselves with themselves, and they were even boasting about work they hadn't started or cultivated. And Paul says that they were very, very unwise. Okay, so let's talk about the problems of comparison thinking, okay? You guys ready? Because this is like, this is something, right? Paul says if we measure ourselves by the world standards, or if we compare ourselves to other people, we're not wise. It's not smart. It's, it really means to, to lack understanding. And yet we do this all the time, don't we? 
We constantly look at what other people have and what other people are doing, what other ministries look like or what other moms look like. And, and you know, Instagram, things like that, that's not helping the cause, right? Because we can just make it all look great and stick it out there. And, and listen, I, I, I love social media. Here's the thing. It's not the venue. Because if you took social media away, we'd find another way to boast about ourselves and compare ourselves and measure ourselves. We, we'd find another way. I mean, people have been doing it forever. It's just that that's a really easy venue. But here's the problem with measuring ourselves against the world system. Here's the deal. The world's measuring stick is faulty and fluctuating. Okay? The world's measuring stick, first of all, it's faulty. It's not even a, the right standard. But not only is it faulty, once you think you've got it, it fluctuates. You thought your shoes were cool. They were yesterday. They're not today because the measuring stick changed. It's faulty because it's not the right stick anyhow, no matter where it is, because it's the world's measuring stick. But it also changes on you. It's fluid. And it'll drive you psycho. And I can't tell you, I'll just be so vulnerable with you that... This is one of those hard things because my whole, I feel like life and career, and especially being, you know, not married and, you know, at the age I'm at and, 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 and you're kind of like, you're looking at the world, you know, you're looking around and you, it's just hard not to kind of see where you fit in places. I have so many people that are close to me who are moms and it's like, well, should I put my kid in this school or that school or? Are they behind or are they ahead? Or, and we're constantly, and, and we just got to know that the world's measuring stick is faulty and it's ever-changing. So let's just not even go there. Verse 13, I could not love this sentiment anymore. We read it. He says, we will not boast beyond proper limits, but we'll continue our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. Guys, we don't have to compare ourselves amongst ourselves because God has assigned us our own ministry assignments. He's assigned you and he's assigned me our own fields. I don't believe that this is just for Paul. And I think that if we could get this, this will be so liberating. The Corinthians were Paul's assignment. And that's why he, that's why he's stuck in there so long through all of the onslaughts and all of the attacks, because that was his, not because it was his by his own authority, but it's what God had asked him to do. And when we get our assignment from the Lord, when the Lord tells us what our field is, who cares? what the other rods and the other sticks are doing. But the trouble with comparison thinking is that it tempts us to live someone else's assignment. And when we try to live someone else's assignment, it is nothing but flat heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking because it's not ours. And I've tried that so many times. It's like, oh, well, maybe I'll try their thing. Maybe I'll get in on this thing. Oh, Maybe it's back here someplace. And, we try, and then you realize, but that's not even where God had me. And I find myself heartbroken, but it's because I'm trying to live somebody else's assignment. We don't need to live someone else's assignment because God has apportioned to us our own field. I really, really do believe that. 
as I was getting prepared for this, um, I just had this sense um, that I wanted you all to be encouraged and that I wanted you to be liberated. And so I just started writing. And I wrote this, you have a field, an assignment that's been apportioned to you. There's space for you. This is a sidebar. You don't have to worry about being crowded out or crowding in or encroaching on anyone's territory. There's space. As long as there are still people from every nation, tribe, and tongue that do not know Jesus Christ, there is space for each of us. Okay, that wasn't part of my thing. I'm back. <laughs> you have a unique group of people to reach and minister to. You don't have to try to compete for someone else's assignment. God has given you your own. You no longer need to measure yourself against the faulty and fluctuating measuring stick of this world. Only seek the Lord's commending. It's the only thing that will satisfy you anyhow. Cease comparing yourself with others because the task you're uniquely suited for cannot be wrestled away because it's been given you by God. So rest. And I'm speaking this to myself. I'm speaking this to you. Rest. Let's finish with verses 17 and 18. But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. See, All we have to worry about is the Lord commending us. That's all we have to worry about. How, do, how, how does the Lord commend us? By loving him, by obeying him, by doing what he's asking us to do, by completing our obedience, by jumping into the ministry field that he's given us to do. We will sense the Lord's commending and delight. And when you sense that and you get that, you will boast about that all day long, not about you, but about him. See, what the Corinthians didn't understand is they were looking for all the, all the city things. We've talked about that this is a letter to a church in a city. All the city things, all the proud things. And we find out in 1 Corinthians, Paul says in 126, he says, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. When you came to Jesus, not many of you were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Does this mean that we shouldn't have an education or we shouldn't try to make money or we shouldn't try to be smart or skilled or no? Paul was one of the most educated Jews maybe to ever live. But later in chapter 2, he says, but I've resolved to know nothing except for Jesus Christ. Five years ago, I sat, six years ago, I sat with a pastor from the jungle, and I'm going to call him Pastor Tom just to honor his privacy. Um, but... Just FYI, there's nobody named Tom in the jungle. Uh, 
when I was sitting with, sitting with Pastor Tom through a trans, translator and I was asking about his life and he was telling me about his ministry and he was talking about how he would fill his uh, canoe up and go to the jungle with his family for three days out of the week and he would preach in the church and he and his wife and his daughter, they'd sleep in a hammock in the church. And he had, the, he had just gotten the most menial job you could ever possibly imagine. And with that menial job, he made just enough a week to fill up his canoe with fuel to go to his ministry assignment. And as I was talking with Pastor Tom, the translator just turned to me and she said, um, by the way, this is a very simple man. She wasn't being derogatory or offensive or anything. She was just simply saying, this is not an educated person. Because I don't speak the language, so I can't always tell. You know? and just, this, is, this is a simple, this is a simple man. We continued on, and I was hearing about his ministry. It was amazing. Six years later, I'm at this pastor's conference, and Pastor Tom is there. And I'm so excited to see him because he's a good friend of mine now, he and his wife. And another guy comes up and he starts talking to me and he says, oh yeah, this is my first time here and uh, Pastor uh, Tom led me to the Lord and now I'm a pastor and he really helped me through some really difficult times. I said, you're kidding, that's amazing. And then another couple, they, they, they were talking and they go, oh yeah, so anyhow, we now have this new ministry and we live in Pastor Tom's old house. He just gave us his old house and we're living there now and we have this just really cool thing that we're doing. I'm like, no way. And then, Literally, just like another day later, this guy comes up to me and he says, oh my goodness, you're not going to believe this. I, I noticed Pastor Tom across the way. I haven't seen him in 10 years. I walked up to him and I said, do you remember me? And he said, no, I don't. And he said, well, you gave me the gospel 10 years ago and I, I got saved right there on the spot and now I'm a pastor and I have this awesome ministry and I'm here at this conference. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I thought, he's a simple man. Mm -hmm. Those words came back to me but he's a simple man. And I thought, well, make me a simple woman because what in heaven's name? This guy and his wife, what they are doing for the gospel because they're doing it for the field assigned to them. He doesn't care about the world's measuring stick. He doesn't even really know about it, probably. <laughs> it doesn't matter to him. He's going to boast in the Lord, not in all these other things. I want to sing for you a very celebratory song. And if, 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 if there ever was a song where this would be my boast, this would be the song. Um, it's a song I wrote with a sweet friend, Cindy Morgan incredible singer and writer, and it's called You Lifted Me. And the reason I would say if, if there's ever a song that I want to boast in, it's this one, it's because this is my boast, that the Lord's love has lifted me.
Thank you for listening to the Mark Podcast. We'll be releasing all eight teaching sessions of All Things New Bible Study right here on the podcast for the next eight weeks. As a reminder, we will leave the audio up until April 30th. Be sure to get a Bible study book, schedule some Zoom calls with your Bible study pals, and listen in. You can find all of Kelly Mentor's LifeWay Bible Studies by going to LifeWay.com slash Kelly Mentor. If you're loving this Bible study content like we are, let us know. Tag us at LifeWay Women or use the hashtag Marked Podcast on all your social media. Let us know what you're learning. If you like getting Bible study content this way, or if you have ideas for future episodes. We are so grateful you're listening and we want to know how to serve you well. Goodbye.